The Other Side of Midnight. 77 Local Spotlight. Good morrow, everyone. This is The Other Side of Midnight on 77 WABC. I'm Frank Morano. Thanks for tuning in. Well, it's Friday. TGIF. You know what that means. Not only thank God it's Friday, but thank God it's Frank. And that means in the 1 a.m. hour, we do ask Frank anything. Whatever you have questions about, give me a call. 1-800-848-WABC. That's 800-848-9222. If you're someone that's gotten a question asked a whole bunch of times, the one thing that we would just ask is that you give everybody else a chance. Wait maybe 10 or 15 minutes. You don't have to, but we're just asking you nicely if you wouldn't mind doing so. Well, I guess that's the way the ZD crumbles after literally years of trials and appeals. Joe Percoco, former Governor Andrew Cuomo's one-time most trusted lieutenant and enforcer, is officially off the hook for the Buffalo Billion bid-rigging scandal that initially landed him in prison four years ago. In a unanimous decision, the U.S. Supreme Court overturned his 2018 bribery conviction yesterday. Now, this is wild. They unanimously overturned it. The Supreme Court is not in the habit of unanimously doing anything. They're pretty polarized and pretty divided. So I think that's very telling, the fact that it was unanimous. Initially, a jury found Prococo guilty of accepting over $300,000 in bribes related to a Buffalo area economic development plan from Cuomo, dubbed the Buffalo Billion, as well as a handful of other state projects. In return for the payments, the jury initially found he illegally steered state business to two companies in the state. A judge sentenced Prococo to six years in prison, of which he served roughly half before getting released in late 2021. However, the Supreme Court wrote in its decision that since Prococo was not employed by the state at the time he received the payments, the conviction was improper. Prococo said he was working for Cuomo's re-election campaign during the period of time in question. The court wrote that maintaining a special relationship with the governor did not serve as a sufficient standard for determining whether he engaged in honest services fraud and therefore over overturned the conviction. The lesson here, ladies and gentlemen, if you're going to take bribes, make sure you're doing it while working for a politician's campaign, not working for the taxpayer. Beam me up! To be continued. The Other Side of Midnight. Local Spotlight. Good morrow, everyone. This is The Other Side of Midnight on 77 WABC. I'm Frank Morano. Well, one of the interesting things about New York City's term limits law is it allows you to, after sitting out for a term for four years, to come back and run for your old position again. For instance, Rudy Giuliani, Mike Bloomberg, since they've been away for a time, even Bill de Blasio, they could all run for their old jobs. Well, several city council members did that. There's a whole bunch of people in the council now that were term limited initially and that have come back. People like uh, Charles Barron, for instance, Gail Brewer and others. And one of those people who has come back to the city council is council member Darlene Mealy. But is she really back? Now, everything I've heard from friends of mine who've served in the council, both the current council and previous councils with Darlene Mealy, is she is one of the dumbest city council members of all time. I'm not trying to be insulting. I don't think I've ever had a 
a real conversation with Darlene Mealy, but that is what her colleagues describe her as, both Democrat and Republican. And she has a real problem with absenteeism. The Brooklyn Democrat was absent for 46 of her 145 meetings so far this term. That is an absentee rate of 32%, according to records reviewed by city and state. That's far worse than any of her neighboring members, like Crystal Hudson, who's been absent for just two meetings since the beginning of 2022. Of the whole council, only Richardson Jordan had a worse attendance record after the New York Post reported she was absent almost half the time. Mealy's colleagues have noticed this. And keep in mind, they got to do virtual meetings for a while. City and state has a quote from one member saying, members literally make bets during stated meetings to see when and if she will come. Mealy even missed the budget vote last year, making her the only one of the 51 members of the city council not to show up. Mealy did not respond when city and state reached out to her. If anybody should be vulnerable in a primary this year, it is Darlene Mealy. We'll see if the people of Brooklyn still want an absentee council member. Beam me up! To be continued. The Other Side of Midnight. Local Spotlight. Well, as we've mentioned, Title 42 has now ended and everybody is saying we should prepare for an influx of migrants. One of the people who has been sounding the alarm on that has been the mayor of New York City, Eric Adams. And I think his approach to the migrant crisis early on was absolutely the wrong one. He was far too welcoming and treating these folks as if they were coming through Ellis Island for the first time. But he really seems to have found religion on this issue and late Wednesday night he signed an executive order doing something that I think is very important. He suspended portions of the city's right to shelter law. So as of now, New York City is temporarily suspending some of the rules related to its long-standing guarantee of shelter to anyone who needs it as officials struggle to find housing for migrants arriving through the southern border. Under this executive order, the city is suspending rules that require families to be placed in private rooms with bathrooms and kitchens, not in group settings, and that set a nightly deadline for newly arriving families to be placed in shelters. Obviously, New York's situation has not been made any easier by all these governors from border states that have been sending buses of asylum seekers here. But the fact of the matter is, a lot of these asylum seekers want to come to New York for a variety of reasons. As it stands now, New York City has opened eight humanitarian relief centers as city officials have moved to help more than 61,000 migrants who've arrived over the last year. New York is the only major city in the country that provides right to shelter, the result of a legal agreement that requires the city to provide a bed to anyone who needs one under certain conditions. The city is also suspending protections for families who've been in emergency shelter hotels for more than 30 days. And I'm sure this is not something that the city has taken too lightly, but the fact of the matter is New York City cannot solve America nor the world's refugee problem. And I don't think it's any wonder, since Eric Adams has been quite critical of the federal government and their handling of this, President Joe Biden's re-election campaign announced its national advisory board consisting of 50 Democrats from around the country. And surprise, surprise, the Biden of Brooklyn, New York City Mayor Eric Adams, isn't on it. And the behind the scenes scuttlebutt is this is because he criticized the president's response to the influx of asylum seekers. Beam me up. To be continued.
other side at midnight. Local Spotlight. One of the better picks that Mayor Eric Adams has made in his administration, as far as I'm concerned, is the New York City Schools Chancellor, David Banks. And he did something uh, very interesting this week. He unveiled a new reading curriculum mandate for New York City elementary schools. Essentially, he announced that all elementary schools will move to one of three English language arts curricula over the next two years, which is going to bring uniformity to the curriculum and I liked a lot of what I heard. In a lot of ways, this seems like just good old-fashioned reading and writing. And this was uh, David Banks on Channel 5 talking about this. So many of us who grew up, we learn through phonics. We learn through a way of decoding words and understanding how to break down words and make meaning. And over the last 20-25 years, we really got away from that. A lot of our adults are not even so clear about what happened. They said, isn't that the way you learn how to read? So this, in many ways, is a return to the basic foundation of how you really learn to read. But a lot of the principals are not happy about this. I got a press release from CSA, the union that uh, represents the school principals, and they are very wary of the city's plans to mandate a reading curriculum. So superintendents will make the final decision. Principals previously had broad discretion to choose what materials to use. And you know what? It wasn't working. It wasn't working because too many kids are coming out of school that don't know how to read at grade level. Henry Rubio, the president of CSA, who uh, I have heard very good things about, said school leaders believe that the Department of Education hasn't given them a chance to sufficiently engage their communities. He's also urging the DOE to mandate curriculum for a smaller population to identify the real changes and allow for an exemption process for schools that believe their curriculum is working. Now, that might be reasonable, but I love Banks' response when the objection of the principals was brought to him. He said he's not looking to play the status quo. He said he doesn't believe Rubio is starkly against the plan, but wants principals to have greater levels of autonomy. Now, I do want to note that the head of the city's teachers union is in favor of this, and the DOE says they will carve out some exceptions for a handful of schools. So I guess, like so many things, the devil will be in the details. But I'm pleased to see that David Banks is at least trying something. And this approach sounds pretty good to me. Beam me up. To be continued.